It's 5 and 10 from Skywatch TV for Friday, August 25th, 2023. I'm Derek Gilbert. A special program today as we're going to bring you a long-form interview. This was recorded by Joe Artishorn, host of Skywatch TV, who's been telling me for a couple of years about a gentleman that he's been following on YouTube, Dr. Steve Turley. Now, I've been aware of Dr. Turley, have not followed him closely, but uh, he is an accomplished musician. He's also an academic, a theologian, who's taken his um, academic training and his uh, critical thinking skills and applied them to the world around us. He's got more than one million followers on YouTube. His uh, observations, very timely, very relevant. And he uh, graciously consented to an interview with Joe Artis Horn. We'll bring that to you now on 5 and 10. Today's guest is someone I've been following for the last several years, and I can't wait to introduce him to you. His name is Dr. Steve Turley, and for those that have never heard of Dr. Steve, he holds a Ph.D. from Durham University and is a theologian, social theorist, classical Christian educator, and prize-winning classical guitarist. He's best known as the Patriot Professor to over 1.2 million-plus YouTube subscribers and 15 million-plus podcast listeners plus millions and millions more across all platforms, including Rumble and Twitter. In 2021 through 2022, Dr. Steve appeared alongside President Donald J. Trump and several key conservative influencers across the country. Daily, he showcases his expertise in the rise of nationalism, populism, and traditionalism throughout the world and can be found at turleytalks.com. Dr. Steve, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us today. Uh, welcome. Oh, thank you, Joe. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. I have looked forward to this like I can't explain for the viewers that have never had the privilege of following your work because I uh, get up every day and I want to know what is Dr. Steve's take on what's happening in what you would describe these crazy and turbulent times that we're living in, right? <laughs> I stole that from your from your program, of course. If you watch the Dr. Steve Turley programs, he opens every day with an optimistic message, yeah. uh, and he brings a very sensible uh, takeaway to what are these crazy and turbulent times. But Dr. Steve, for our audience that maybe have never followed your program, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about how you got started in radio? Oh, thanks, Joe. Yeah, I well, uh, you know, as my bio alludes to, I have uh, two I have degrees in two fields of study, one in music and the other in in theology. So the joke is I, I went where the money is, you know, and the, and I spent <laughs> I spent much of my adult life um, actually in academia. And I've, I've written over 20 books on a myriad of subjects from politics oh, yeah. to theological aesthetics, the study of the intersection between theology and beauty. Uh, my PhD thesis on, on rituals and the letters of Paul was published by an academic publisher in the UK. And so, uh, you know, I was very happy in a, in a world of, of academia. Um, so I never planned for, for this. I never planned to be a broadcaster. It was really fascinating. But w while I was researching for my doctorate, in in the U when I was over in the UK, I came across a very wide ranging field of study known as post secular studies, and the name blew me away. This is during the height of like the Obama era, you know, it's like two thousand eight, two thousand and nine, and so uh, the last thing I'm thinking about is post secular. Right? I, I thought I thought we were like heart of secular studies or something like that but no the these studies uh and they're so wide-ranging there's scholars like peter berger charles taylor talal Assad, and so forth and they deal with post-secular law post-secular fashion uh post-secular academies post-secular politics post-secular international relations you name it so it's a very very wide ranging field of study but they're they're fundamental assertion is that is that what is known as the secularization thesis is basically dead in the social sciences and okay. the secularization thesis was a very very popular early 20th century notion that that be, was very influential throughout the century 
And it was the assumption virtually all sociologists had that the more educated and technological society became, the less religious it will be. So sociologists like Max Weber and Emile Durkheim, they all saw secularity basically baked into the cake uh, in a progressivist movement of of history. Um, These post-secular scholars have put a halt to that. They've made the argument through through evidentiary means, looking at the evidence, that uh, very few contemporary sociologists believe that thesis to be true. So Sam Harris uh, or Bill Maher or so far, they just turn out to be actually uh, scholarly dinosaurs. They believe in a thesis no sociologist worth their salt believes in. As it turns out, Religion is as prevalent in our world today as it's always been, if not more. And the more I investigated post-secular studies, the more I found that that world was manifesting itself more and more in the uh, campaign of Donald Trump back in 2015 and 2016. Because what we were finding is that as more and more populations around the world are returning to religion, they're also returning back to their own culture. So because religion, in effect, is the cult of culture uh, in the in the Latin sense of the term of the cult mean cultus means worship. And since politics is generally downstream from culture, I started recognizing, wow, we really are seeing the emergence of a very new political order all over the world. Absolutely. And I recognize that manifesting itself in our nation. Uh, in the 2016 candidacy of Donald Trump, who was hitting all the post-secular themes of nationalism and populism and traditionalism. Right. So I started a YouTube channel on November 1st, 2016, to provide an analysis of Trump that I just wasn't getting anywhere else. And uh, and I made the argument, I made the bold argument that I, I thought he was going to win. He was going to win the same way the Brexit campaign uh, right. referendum passed just a few months earlier, very much on the same kinds of nationalist populist dynamics. So after he won and after a little gloating for the next week, uh, a lot of people gave me some, uh, it was a very small channel, only a couple hundred people (laughs) tuning in, but they were giving me some feedback. Let's keep doing this. This is really neat. And so uh, in in the meantime, the channel's grown to over a million subscribers and nearly a half a billion views. And so two years ago, I left uh, academia and become a full-time broadcaster. And that's now I daily analyze current events in light of what I see as the rise of conservative trends, a new conservative age, a new traditionalist age. And so my analysis helps people to think better uh, so they can feel better and live their lives in these crazy and turbulent times, but in light of better things to come. Well, it's a work that I very much appreciate about you, and I don't think that there's enough individuals pursuing that line of narrative. You and I talked before the program about this idea that when you talk about post-secularism, especially in Western Christianity, that uh, elections are all kabuki theater, Mm -hmm. and we're okay with whatever the outcome because God is ultimately in control, but we've kind of resigned ourselves not to vote. This is, to me, kind of a frightening trend that I've recognized just in my own echo chambers and friend circles. Right. This idea that, you know, A, if we can't overwhelm the voting fraud that we're suspicious is going to take place in 2024, uh, then why waste my time with a vote? Be it symbolic or otherwise, what's the point? I'm not going to give them that kind of control over my life. Or B, the idea that um, if... If God is in control, we should be resigned to the outcome and not participate, which is, you have a layer of truth, you understand? It's like saying about my health, if God is in control, why should I worry about what I eat, right? Right, or why but pray? But I'm going to live, know, exactly. I'm going to live, right, if I, sure. And God does expect us to pray over our health, but he also expects us to be responsible over the things that we put in our mouths and the things we do. And so when you look at what has happened in the United States, the rise of Donald Trump, and of course, that all of the the you I think you call them the alphabet letter uh, institutions of the government. That's right. They hate this person, yeah, because he stands to dare challenge what was a long-standing, multi-decade control lever system. You can see, even if you made the argument 
that voting in and of itself is on par and that you know, voting softwares are not tinkering with outcomes. At the very least, you can see with the suppression of things like the Hunter Biden laptop ahead of the 2020 election, that at the very least, our alphabet letter institutions of the government, as well as the, the mainstream media, are doing everything they can to persuade the outcomes of elections. Right. That's right. That's right. And, and they are. I mean, it's really interesting because historically speaking, uh, cultural anthropologists would argue that societies, all societies were structured in accordance with a sacred structure. So they had they had their own culturally recognized sacred at the very, very top of things. And this was, you know, the sacred had certain attributes. It was eternal. It was immaterial of some some kind because it couldn't be contained in any particular thing. That's what, except for the exception of idolatry, what made idolatry so strange is, is that the, the, the divine could be exhausted in some kind of material thing. But, but most society, the great civilizations, had this amazing sense of transcendence and that the eternal, the sacred transcended any particular thing. And then, you know, you had the political class, you had sort of uh, like a military class of some kind. Then you had you had the artisans and you had the problem solvers. And ironically, they were kind of at the bottom, not the bottom in the sense of being like in a caste system, being the lowest of the low, but it was just in terms of in terms of priorities, the sacred was absolute. The sacred was unmistakable. And you had some kind of priestly class. You had some kind of New England minister, say, in you know, Jonathan Edwards, uh, uh, you know, Massachusetts. You had someone there who can help explain and help us to encounter the sacred that then helped rulers rule righteously and um, and military uh, figures uh, protect the good and on and on and on. And then at the very bottom, as it were, of just this chain, that's where you dealt with the very, very material things of life, the facticity uh, of life. But it, you know, physics operates this way. You've got theories on top and they're, they're these transcendent equals MC square kind of thing. And then they had they work themselves out in actual experiments. What's happened right. in the modern world, what happened in our secular experiments starting in the 18th century, some would put it even at the beginning of nominalism in the medieval period, but basically starting the 18th century, going into the Industrial Revolution, the 19th century, what's happened is that world flipped. So now we have the priests of facts at the top. We have the scientists, the technocrats, they're all at the top. And the problem, as a number of thinkers understood during the 20th century, the problem is when you have technocrats on top, technocracy involves control. That's what, that's what technology is. Technology is a form of control. Now, it's good. We all like we're using it now in our in our network uh, ability to be able to speak to each other. And mm -hmm. we, we control is a good thing, but only when it's tempered by the sacred, by the absolute, by the, by the eternal, by the unquestionable, by, by the true, the good, the beautiful. When technologists are totally divorced from truth, goodness, and beauty, and then they exercise total and complete control over society, like what we're seeing today, and you get you get these bizarre kind of contradictions, like liberalism, right? Liberalism supposed to free you, when in point of fact, it's tyrannical. It's this mm. very very odd thing. So we're living in a time where those who claim to be liberals, where those who claim to be defenders of democracy, like George Soros, for example, right. are the very first people who will clamp down on you when you go against their narratives or will overthrow your government in a color revolution if they didn't like who you put in charge. And then they right. bring the environment in and they feel like they have a moral duty to do it because if you vote the wrong way, then you can kill us all. Uh, that's the idea. You can put somebody right. in who doesn't understand that we're at the precipice of some apocalyptic environmental disaster. So they believe they're, they're, they're actually, they have a moral imperative to stop us. So that and the one person that stood up against that more than anyone else and has continued to 
is Donald Trump. He's not been perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but God, God, what's the old saying? God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. You know, he, he, <laughs> he, he, he has more than anyone else stood up to the, this technocracy and basically said the whole system is rigged. The whole right. system is, uh, is, is a fraud. And we're going to bring it down. We're going to drain the swamp and we're going to restore, bring society back to faith, family, and freedom, that mm -hmm. beautiful sacred yes. hierarchy that we're already seeing being built all around the world in other countries, their own, their own culturally specific way of doing it. So they'll have the faith, they'll have the family. They won't necessarily have the freedom because freedom is a gift of the gospel, but at the very least, they're at least restoring that kind of structure. That's why a lot of scholars today are, are quipping that we're moving from geopolitics to theopolitics, because it seems like theocracies keep popping up, uh, mm. Israel being the latest with their latest judicial reforms. Many are arguing they're not a liberal society, liberal secular society anymore. They are becoming a fully orthodox theocratic society. As they should, because that's the structure of this this sacred this sacred hierarchy, as it were. They're mm -hmm. just at least putting God and God's law first, and then everything else falls into place. However, that happens to work out. You have this pent up frustration, and rightfully so. You know, people recognize a lot of what you're describing here. They tend to have this, and I don't want to use the word, well, I guess fatalist is a fair way to frame it. They would yeah. they would probably push back on that. Well, I'm not being fatalist, I'm being realistic. <laughs> this idea, though, that... I mean, um, really, we're all going to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're all going to die at some point anyway. But, um, you know, they have major concerns about the legitimacy of sure. the election in 2024. And I remember in 2020, Dr. Steve... I watched um, your friend Doug Mastriano. Yeah. I watched. Yeah. I watched so many of these people outside of Congress, mostly the state legislatures. They were pushing their congressmen to to hold hearings, yep. to give these people who had affidavits swearing that they either had cell phone video evidence that drop boxes were, the you know being flooded in the middle of the night, vans bringing these what I called print on demand ballots to various precincts in the middle of the night. There were cybersecurity experts standing up giving congressional testimony on the efficacy of how votes had been aggregated under strange mm -hmm. circumstances where the number of ballots that would switch, let's say, from Donald Trump over to Joe Biden in the middle of the night was into the tens of thousands and could not have been human beings actually, you know, loading voting machines with their paper ballots. So there was there was lots and lots of uh reasons to have rightful questions about an election we weren't allowed to question right 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 the narrative was it was the most impeccable clean you know forthcoming pristine, election that yeah, is yeah, pristine yeah, yeah, so yeah. so for the people out there that have not followed your work as i have and have had the privilege of hearing an optimistic perspective on on a lot of what those things in terms of outcome will eventually represent one of the things that I've shared with my friends, and I don't know that you'll agree with this, is, look, even if in 2024 the sum of all fears takes place and we feel we've been bamboozled again, and let's say that our belief is that whoever was uh, placed back into the White House was more selected rather than elected via whatever devices, it's going to drive this thing I keep describing as organic secession. Mm -hmm. People, yeah. if they can't persuade yeah. their 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 yeah. local states to actually secede, are just going to do like I've heard you describe millions of times. They're going to vote with their wallets. They're they're yep. they're simply at a point where red team and blue team are going to divorce court. There yep. is no more middle ground. There's no more reaching across the aisle. Both sides feel they have nothing in common with the other side, regardless of whether that's true. Right. Um, and they don't want anything to do with it. Right, And so now they're voting with their wallets. Uh, they're pushing for secession. And even the words secession are almost off-limits taboo in the mainstream media. No one's allowed to even speak it for fear that it could become an infectious runaway idea. Do, do you agree that regardless of what they do in mainstream media, regardless of what the outcome in 2024 is, 
that people are going to continue seeing that there are options. They do have control over levers. They have their wallets. They have right. the ability to further secede into their states organically, meaning um, you know, push for local mayorships, push their Congress in certain directions, put enough pressure on those that they have a little more control over to represent their faith and values. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah, redrawing boundaries, uh, uh, state boundaries like the Greater Idaho Movement, as well as 20 plus right, Illinois right. counties that have voted uh, right. to look into uh, seceding from Chicago. It's just, yeah, there, there's, you know, um, the, scholars have talked about that governments only stand as long as people ascribe legitimacy uh, to government. So it's very interesting because the, the fundamental question is how does a government exercise so much power uh, and uh, legal violence, as it were, um, uh, when they're so small in comparison to the rest of the population? And the answer is it's through the process of legitimation. The, the, the vast majority of a population has to see the government as there for their benefit. And so to the extent that they see the government as there ultimately for the benefit, they are going to legitimate the government's claims, its powers and, and the like. The moment delegitimation reaches critical mass, just ask the Berlin Wall, well, I guess right. the makers of the Berlin Wall, what yes. happens? Just ask the Soviet Union, what happens when the people finally say, that's it? It's uh, enough when even police officers, when uh, when soldiers are putting down their weapons, saying we're done with this. Mm -hmm. Anything has has to be better than what we have now. That's what we're going through. We're going through a massive delegitimation process. We have yes. never in our country's history, we have never uh, had such low confidence ratings every major public institution out there including our military that was unthinkable post reagan that was absolutely unthinkable to, that our military has had the highest regards among our american people and now it's it's in if i recall the last i saw is uh it's under 50% in terms of trust because it's gone so woke and it's become absurd and it's become a tool for warmongers we've never been more united in being anti-war than we are right now, even at right. the height of the Vietnam era. And yet all our political leaders do is they just talk war, 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 war with everybody. Right. This, is, this is what made Tucker Carlson such an amazing voice who was willing to call everyone out. I think in many ways, Trump and Tucker have been an extraordinary one-two punch combination mm. for these last several years. So the good news, I think you're absolutely right. I take a lot of solace historically from the parallel police movement of uh, Czechoslovakian dissidents like Václav Havel, Václav Benda in the 1970s, 1980s, when Czechoslovakia was under, uh, under uh, Soviet occupation. Uh, they basically made the argument that those who love truth have to more or less build parallel institutions. And keep right. in mind, this is in a tyrannical communist society right uh, we need to build parallel institutions so that we can live out truth and thereby expose the dominant institutions which have been so corrupted to be what they really are which is a lie and within 10 years the berlin wall fell and Václav havel ended up becoming president of czechoslovakia mm. so it's <laughs> i take tremendous solace in you know you could have been a fatalist any time there. They're uprising sure. in Hungary. What do the Soviets do? Bring in the tanks, crush it, literally, right? And uh, and then they smile and say, ha, you know, try that again. Well, they do. The Czechoslovakian dissidents try it again. And then Soviet tanks come in and crush it. Polish dissidents come in and Soviet tanks come in and crush it. Today, as we speak, Hungary... And Poland, and sometimes the Czech Republic, sometimes, though they kind of mess around with the left here or there. <laughs> Hungary and Poland are the two single most conservative nationalist populist governments in the whole of Europe. So there is life after this leftist wow. tyranny. There is life after. Now, Hungary has the great Viktor Orban. I know you know him, Joe. Um, 
and your audience may as well, uh, a prime minister like no other. He is now serving, I believe, his fourth consecutive term as prime minister because the Hungarian people love him so much. And he's uh, yeah, Tucker Carlson actually was just in Hungary, or he may still even be there, uh, hanging out with uh, Viktor Orban. Um, and then Poland has the Law and Justice Party, which in November of 2016, interesting month and year, uh, they held a uh, a public mass, a public ceremony uh, with uh, with Poland being very Catholic that was uh, broadcast on live public television with the president of Poland, Andrzej Duda, there. You can actually watch it on YouTube. It's a beautiful ceremony. They formally dedicated their country to the lordship of Christ over every area Amazing. of life. It was absolutely not, and there is there's a, there's a if I recall they might have the whole thing, but there's a smaller like 10, 15, 20 minute one that's got the English translations, and they pray for and the prayers pray for their education, they pray for their families, they pray for their military, they pray for everything, that ask Christ's lordship to bless wow. every aspect of their life. Part two of our interview is straight ahead as we address the question: How do we as Christians? reconcile our belief that God is in control without um, a, a fatalistic approach toward the world around us. Oh, we can't do anything about it. It's all in God's hands. How do we reconcile God's desire for us to exercise free will with the uh, reality that things don't always go the way we want? Joe Artis Horn's interview with Dr. Steve Turley continues straight ahead on 5 and 10. Well, ladies and gentlemen, with just a few minutes on the clock, we want to make sure that you know how you can get your copies of both of these incredible new works in the Warriors of God special offer. When you order the Warriors of God special offer, you'll receive the Kingdom Warrior full-spectrum spiritual warfare, biblical clearing, and maintaining your spiritual perimeter by Dr. Michael Lake. But you'll also receive the brand new book by Corby Shuey, For Valor, Defending the Faith for Those of Worth. Both of these works complement each other fabulously and take you on a journey of next-level comprehension of spiritual warfare. But that's not all. Right now, when you order the Warriors of God special offer, we're also including absolutely free the phenomenal two-disc collection on DVD, The Final Countdown, featuring Dr. Thomas Horn, Allie Anderson, and Donna Howell on how the secrets hidden within the biblical feasts unveil the final countdown to the return of Jesus Christ and the rapture of the church. But also included in this incredible special offer is Dr. Michael Lake's massive Sheareth Imperative data DVD library that includes 56 different Christian classic books on PDF for use on device of your choosing, Understanding the Kingdom audio series, the eSword biblical software for Windows, and several TV appearances featuring Dr. Michael Lake. All of these items hold a retail value of $95, yours now for your donation of only $35 plus shipping and handling. And now back to our special interview, Joe Artis Horn with Dr. Steve Turley. Right. So I have children, right? right? I want for my children to grow up in the kind of America that I got the opportunity to right. grow up in. The idea of that changing is devastating. Yes. So as a father, I have to find ways to peacefully push back against darkness in all of its forms. I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that some of these states like Arizona and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, Georgia with Brian Kemp, that they've made meaningful strides after 2020 to go back and revisit how they plan to conduct their elections in 2024. Cause I know that's another one that, you know, is, is contributing to this whole fatalist. Well, you know, the States, it, it was a disaster in 2020. They haven't done anything meaningful to change. Uh, and, and I know I'm getting the sense you're looking past this event in 2024, long-term historical yeah, precedent. Yeah, yeah. What will happen to people post that event? This is not a be all win all lose right, all lump right. sum game. Right. But in terms of watching hopeful trends to see the curation of our own election processes, do you think that these states have made any meaningful strides? Oh, I wish I could answer that question specifically in an optimistic way. Uh, be, uh, but but I will be, you know, again, I need to be very realistic. They call it the Stockdale principle after Admiral Stockdale, uh, James Stockdale, the, the highest decorated um, uh, Navy 
uh, official who was a prisoner of war uh, during Vietnam. And he said the way you survive is by bringing together uh, two what seem paradoxical beliefs. One, you have to be absolutely brutally sober about the dire nature of your circumstances, and you can never, ever lose hope that you'll prevail. So you've got it's I, I like to see from from a Christian vantage point, it's like bringing Friday and Sunday together. Right. It, it's it, it's seeing the cross as a tree of life. You know, it's 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 seeing Christ's outstretched arms, the excruciation as mm. uh, a, a posture of victory, as uh, Athanasius would say. You know, wow. I mean, it, yeah. So, so you, it's it's seeing the the life in the death. It's seeing the renewal in the destruction. It's that that kind of thing. And so, so okay, let's talk a little. Let's talk a little destruction here. Yes, they've passed meaningful election reform. Um, Georgia, most especially, and Arizona uh, as well. But if you don't have anyone there with the 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 uh, the moral rectitude to enforce those Bingo. laws then you might as well so for example even in 2020 uh trump's georgia election contestation was by georgia law required to be heard in court within 10 days the corrupt fulton county courts refused it and none of the appellate courts stepped in so Trump never got his day in court as required by Georgia law. Uh, now, ironically, he's about to get it uh, in 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 uh, in terms of the uh, the court of public opinion, uh, especially when it comes to the mail in ballots. Right. So back in 2020, you had a near thousand percent increase in mail in ballots, but you had a massive 10 X drop in the number of mail in ballots rejected. So back in 2016, wow. you had, I think it was five or six percent of mail-in ballots rejected for all kinds of reasons. You know, the signatures didn't match, address verification didn't, but all kinds of chain of custody verifications. But as required by Georgia law, if there was a mis mismatch there, you have an invalid ballot and needed to be thrown out. In 2016, they were right. throwing them out, right? In 2020, that five or six percent rejection rate dropped to an astonishing 0.6%, Joe, 0.6%, mm. even though the number of mail-in ballots were almost a thousand-fold increase. And what's the only possible explanation for that? Right. The only possible explanation is what? The, the, the votes weren't vetted. The chain of custody controls and protocols weren't followed. They weren't being enforced as required by... Georgia law. So, yes, I think Georgia's got all the law it needs to ensure an integral election. The question is, does it have the officials, the precinct officials and the secretary of state and the governor to enforce that? And I'm I'm very concerned uh, about that. So you can pass all these laws. So you're blowing your face. Right. If you don't right. have secretaries of states and governors who are going to enforce them, they're useless. So Atwa, I believe, a combination of ballot harvesting, like the SoCal ballot harvesting sure. strategy yep. and the historic election day turnout, which Trump's support looks like it is galvanizing right now, yes. together with a Steve Bannon precinct strategy where patriots are, are manning the precincts and overseeing the counting. County, that's going to be crucial. The turnout has to overwhelm the margin of fraud, which is what, two, three percent, four percent. I mean, even in accounting, you can, you have a percentage of fraud. You have about <laughs> one or two percent where you can fudge yeah. your uh, finance reportings, but above that, it's it's too obvious. So elections, if I recall, are around three percent. Um, you can and fudge. they always go the same direction. So always, you're guaranteed always. all two to three to four percent of whatever it is is going one exactly. direction. Always. So that's why the the MAGA vote has to be overwhelming. And again, the good news is CNN is starting to freak out seeing the amount of uh, working class that Biden is losing and especially the non-white working class. Yeah. That's the new development. In 2016, Biden lost the white working class. That was a guaranteed Democrat vote. They voted for my, the, you had nearly yes. 200 counties in Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan, Pennsylvania that had voted for Mondale, that had voted for, uh, for um, Dukakis, 
Clinton twice, yes. Gore, you name it. Okay, Kerry, Obama twice. That suddenly shocked pollsters and pundits and like that turned around in 2016 and voted Trump because finally they found somebody who was really standing up for the working class. Non-white working class took a little longer to convince. They voted for Obama back in 2008 with a 70 percent margin. It's an, they were they were when all is said and done outside of black women, the single biggest constituency for Democrats. The late that we've seen it sl slowly but surely ebb away that margin. The latest New York Times uh, polling that just came out found that Biden's advantage with non-white working class has collapsed to just 10 percent. They've gone from 70 percent margins to now just 10 percent. And the vast majority are Latino and Latinos are going Republican. We're seeing it now. I, we just right. I did a video today. We had a Latina uh, South Southern Texas uh, Democrat official um, the, defect over to the Republicans. And, and they're doing it largely because of two things, because of the Democrats wokeness and because of their incompetence at the southern border. And they've had it. They've had it they've with had it. these these migrants coming in who are not being vetted, who are completely illegal, and and they're threatening the safety of Latino communities, particularly in the Rio Grande area and southern Texas. Those were always reliably blue areas. They're going Republican now. So the the potential that Trump has here, I mean, he won 50 percent of the Latino vote in Florida in uh, in uh, in 2020 that's massive uh, his his percentage uh with latinos went up 30 percent uh in uh, in wisconsin they went up 20 percent in pennsylvania uh it's happening it really is it just takes time it's very hard for people to align their politics with their values it's uh, politics is a weird thing that mm. you would think i mean uh 45 percent of Americans today call themselves conservatives. Less than 20% call themselves liberals. How on earth do we have the Congress that we have? Right. So so it, the reason is, is because politics is not, it's not necessarily rational. People vote because, out of fear. People vote out of race. People vote out of different kinds of loyalties. And we're. it's just a matter of time before the values finally take over and align right. And that's what it looks like we're seeing. And the liberals know that we have the makings of a possible supermajority, the likes of which they, I mean, it would be the realization of their worst nightmares. Just think of right. the county maps after every election and how red the map is. There's literally, you could take a red marker and fill it in with never, ever having to lift your marker. It's that, but try doing that with the blue, the little blue patches right. here or there in our coastal elite cities and the like, or, you know, you just can't do it. And so they know they're, they're losing R regionally. They're just losing and a, a conservative super state is forming and it's just a matter of getting this quote, the stars aligned as it were with everybody's uh, voting in accordance with their political and religious values. If they do that, uh, Trump will be the 47th president of the United States. And then they're going to be in serious trouble. Oh, now I'm talking about I'm talking uh, about the deep yeah. state. I'm not talking about absolutely. your, your laity absolutely. Democrat voter. I'm talking about the deep state. Yeah. No, oh, and you got to know that they know this. This is why they're doing everything they can to stop him. You got Let it. me ask you a two-parter, uh, Dr. Steve. First, you know, a lot of people just assume that Donald Trump will be the nominee. Mm -hmm. They're just assuming that no one can stop him. DeSantis is way down double digits now. There doesn't seem to be a legitimate viable second option at this point. So first, do you do you concede that he'll be the nominee? And then second, have you heard about this possibility to all the people behind the sham indictments of Donald Trump, um, from Biden's DOJ to the various liberal lawyers and judges that are working with them to destroy him politically ahead of 2024, um, that they'll attempt to coordinate circumstances that would tie him up in court for the entirety of the political campaign season in 2024. If we can't beat him and we can't stop him and we can't put him in bars, let's tie him up in court, right? Exactly. No rallies. I mean 
You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. What, what do you no, think I, about that? I think you're absolutely right. So, um, yeah, let me let me answer that. I guess in reverse order, because in many ways they're 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 already doing it. I mean, Gavin Newsom is already trying to take Trump off the California ballot. He announced right. that this weekend. And ironically, he's citing two constitutional scholars from the Federalist Society, uh, which is Leonard Leo's group, that is normally wonderful, but um, they're considered the very backbone of the conservative renewal in the legal sphere, um, and in many respects helped to orchestrate the uh, reversal of Roe v. Wade, which is probably the worst decision like ever. I mean, it's just it just just in terms of its reasoning, it was so pathetically bad. I mean, you even had pro-choice pro-abortionists recognize that uh, Roe v. Wade was just bad law, period. Uh, but these uh, two so-called legal experts are actually arguing. It's bizarre. So I don't know. I don't I don't know what they were drinking when they were writing this thing. But they're actually arguing that Trump can't run uh, as as president uh, constitutionally because he's an insurrectionist based on the 14th Amendment. Amending the fact that, of course, Trump has never been convicted of such a thing and he's never been charged with insurrection, even in the Jack Smith case. And even after a thorough investigation by the FBI concluded right. that there was no insurrection on on JSEC. Alan Dershowitz, is uh, he, that poor guy, he's not even a MAGA supporter. He's not a Trump supporter. He's going to have a stroke just having to defend Trump because he's, at least he has some constitutional integrity. And he's just right. out there saying this argument is absolutely absurd. Uh, and this is what happens when Trump derangement syndrome ends up infecting jurists. But anyway, uh, uh, Newsom is coming out and he's basically saying, yeah, let's let's take Trump off the California ballot. And um, that's just an admission when all is said and done. It's an admission that they right. know Trump is going to win the Republican nomination and they've got nothing else and they're scared to death of what he's going to do if he actually wins because they're looking i mean even cnn is admitting it now that trump is in a stronger position to win than he ever was in 2020 or 2016 trump is in a better position in all the polling and in all the key groups that have the democrats panicking um you know, if you go to the RCP, the uh, RCP aggregate polling is real clear politics and they average out all the polls. And you look at those polls the day before the, say, the 26 election, the 2016 election, the election that he won. You go down poll after poll after poll, you're going to see Hillary's up four, Hillary's plus six, Hillary's plus seven, right. Hillary's plus yep. 10. Just, I mean, just punch it in, real clear politics. Uh, you know, uh, 2016 election. That's a, it'll take you straight to the page. Uh, and in 2020, it was even worse. It was Biden plus nine, Biden plus 11, but you know, he was pl supposedly plus 14 in Wisconsin and the like. This is, this is across the board. CNN is admitting that when you look at all the polls now, they're either basically tied in terms of the margin of error or Trump is ahead. <laughs> so, so they recognize what that means. And wow. then when you look at all the battleground states, so that's, you know, that's again, that's a national across the board. You know, that's including California and L.A. and Manhattan and, and those popul populations. When you just look at battleground states alone, leave California out of it. Right. Right. Virtually all the battleground states, Trump is trouncing. Biden. He's beating Biden by, by a very considerable margin. And again, it's because the working class, which was the backbone of the Democrat uh, demographic, the working class, again, across the board, both white and non-white, uh, are, are leaving the Democrats and they're siding. And it's funny, they're not necessarily siding with Republicans, but they are siding with Trump. And that's huge. We learned that the hard, the hard lesson in 2022 that the working class vote and rural vote, uh, J.D. Vance did a, uh, wrote a really good postmortem after 2022, which was actually not that bad. But there were some key races, particularly in Arizona, that we that were very, very disappointing in, in my backyard here in Pennsylvania. But but basically, J.D. Vance argued Democrats always complained during the midterms that the rural vote working class vote generally didn't come out. That's why Republicans were always able to do so well in midterms. Well, guess what? Now there are voters 
And we have to learn to churn them out and bring them out in the get out the vote campaign uh, in a way that Democrats never quite did. The, again, the good news is the SoCal strategy actually uses evangelical churches right. yep. as ballot harvesting centers. Yep. And evangelical, uh, the, that demographic votes 80% Republican, but they're they're not coming out at 80%. They're coming out at 40%, 50%. In other words, 40 or 50% of the evangelicals are coming out to vote. With the ballot harvesting strategy, you can turn an 80% voting GOP demographic into an 80 or 90% turnout rate. And that's how Democrats in Southern California, I'm sorry, Republicans in Southern California have been winning in Democrat right. plus four districts just because the evangelical vote is getting harvested and it's overwhelmingly voting its values. It's voting with conservatives. So it's yes. Yeah, so I think I think they're going to do everything they can to keep him sidelined. Uh, let's pray to God, you know, the Supreme Court intervenes and it and it doesn't work. And they're doing it because it's an admission. It's admission that not only is Trump going to win the nomination, but he's going to win 2024 if they don't stop him, basically. Do you think Donald Trump will verse Joe Biden? I mean, I, I've been amazed that Biden, uh, that they're still propping him up as their figurehead at this point. That We haven't seen more people identify themselves as alternatives with any real meaningful success. And I heard you talk the other day about the possibility of Michelle Obama maybe throwing her name in the ring. I don't think, personally, I don't think she wants to run, but she might yeah. be getting a lot of pressure on her from her own yes. party to run. But she is also running out of time. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, that's Roger Stone's theory, uh, which I just thought was interesting. And I just I threw it out there because it's already there. So in other words... Uh, Biden is, is gone. He's going to be, uh, when he's what in, uh, 20, 24, he's going to be 82. So he would end his tenure at 86. It's just not viable. I mean, the guy, the guy can't even put the guy slaughters so many prepositions. And when he opens his right. mouth, you know, and, uh, but, but you can't because of identity politics, uh, and diversity hires, you can't, re you can't replace uh, Kamala with Gavin Newsom, a white male. So that leaves that that brings in Michelle Obama, who remains very, very popular in the Democratic Party. As a matter, all polls show, were she to run for the nomination, uh, Biden would be swept out two to one. Um, but I'm with you. I don't think she she wants it. Uh, and it's just politics is is becoming you know it's become a it's become very very. Uh, very bare knuckles at this point. And right. two, she couldn't necessarily win because remember, Hillary lost the white working class vote so badly in 2016. Yeah. Even if she got Obama's level of the black vote, she still would have lost. That's from a study by Matt Goodwin, uh, the British uh, uh, political um, scholar. Uh, they found uh, demographically she still would have lost to Wisconsin, Iowa, Michigan, Pennsylvania. And she would have lost the the election. So it's they think Michelle Obama might be their their savior, but not necessarily. And she's not necessarily uh, primed as a as a politician either. And if Trump is is in is in the contest like he looks like he is, he just has a way of sucking all the oxygen out. But having said that, I think yeah, I think uh, anything can happen to Biden at this point. He's not campaigning. He. As I understand it, he only has three full-time staff on his campaign yeah. right now. Wow. He's not spending any money. So there's two ways of looking at that. Some say, oh, well, the fix is already in. He didn't have to leave his basement the first time. He's not leaving Bingo. it again. I mean, that's uh, what a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah which, to which I say, okay, then let's let's do what we should have done in 2020 and, and beat the pants off of them. But then, uh, but then the good. second thing uh, is that he's not going to run. That's that's so we'll have to see how it plays out. Sure. Who do you but think they are? Oh. Joe, I should say they are. And, you know, this they are scared to death of Kamala. They're scared to death of the disaster, the electoral disaster she can be. There's no level of cheating that's going to save them from Kamala. She is so loathed even by Democrats. Wow. So that's why they're so they're so worried. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out, because you're right. I don't think they view Kamala as you know the the savior of the party at this point. So it it's it's it, honestly if you're if you're a Democrat right now, 
who are you looking at to step in and fix this before you've got about a year, a little over a year? Most people have decided, you know, two, three months before the election who they're going to vote for. I mean, you've got a lot of work to do. Right. Who do you think Donald Trump will pick as a VP? And I know there, there's no possible way for either of us to know, but it's fun to right. speculate. Who do you, it, it, unless I'm putting you on the spot and you don't want to say, if, if you're comfortable, do you have a pick? You've heard a lot yep. of people talk about Robert Kennedy Jr. Yeah. Anyone else on your short list? Yeah. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy is also big. Nigel oh, yes. Farage, yeah, from, from Brexit fame. Uh, he's he's. He's been pushing Vivek uh, a bit. He uh, he thinks he's very good. Steve Bannon is all over a Trump RFK uh, 2024 ticket. He did something similar in Italy uh, with the uh, the uh, populist left five star party and the populist right Lega uh, party. So both five star and Lega are are hardcore populist parties are totally outside of the mainstream left and right once mainstream left and right in Italy. And so Bannon suggested that they both won number one and number two in their respective uh, elections uh, and uh, respective positions in their national elections as back in 2018. And so Bannon suggested that they team up to permanently sideline the neocons and the neolibs in Italy. And they did it. And it was very, very successful coalition only lasted a couple of years italian politics is very is is extremely turbulent uh but now they have their most conservative uh uh government like ever post-world war ii with georgia maloney and the brothers of italy um who's now uh the not just the prime minister but the most popular prime minister in in all of europe interestingly so a populist ticket does have the power to push out they're uh, the respective deep state, as it were, that's maintained by the establishment parties. That's what they're there for. They're there to maintain the establishment. So a Trump RFK ticket sounds incredibly enticing. The RFK also has the potential to bring it upwards of about 20 percent of the Democratic Party. Remember, right. um, uh, as I understand it, two thirds of the Democratic Party still has not yet heard uh, very much of RFK. He's been kind of hidden uh, by CNN and MSNBC and the like. And and most of those uh, Democrats are would would consider voting for someone other than Biden. So RFK is a very dangerous person to the Democratic Party. And when they when they turn on him, which they will, just like they did with Bernie. He's not like Bernie. He's not part of the establishment. He will most likely take that populist left um, uh, constituency that he amassed. And if he married it to Trump, we may have that supermajority we've been looking for. Now, again, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to work itself out because the values system's a little is a bit different there. Certainly Trump's vote is far more. You know, Christian, far more Christian nationalist, like you mentioned, the Doug Mastriano vote and the like. Um, so but but you're also dealing with what we found is just to be some of the look. I mean, conservatives, when all said and done, we're localists. We we, we love faith, family, freedom at the local level. We hate centralization. Right. We hate top down bureaucratization. So, you know, we do have a bit of a live and let live um uh, uh approach to things as long as it's not you know fundamentally immoral there we we do take certain stands yeah. but outside of that the populist left and populist right i think has so much area to agree on uh that it has the potential of being a, a game changer and a paradigm shifter so we'll we'll see so to me it's yeah. that seems very a trump rfk ticket I mean, it would just just to see the establishment lose the gasket that they would lose, just the very possibility <laughs> that RFK could come anywhere near a position of federal power would just flip them out. And of course, the days of of uh, vax tyranny and so forth, they would be effectively over. I also view RFK as someone, and maybe others would view him this way as well, as someone who would not be a yes man to right. Donald Trump. He would challenge his thinking, right. but probably would maintain social decorum in public. Mm -hmm. And so, yep. you know, I don't I don't get the feeling that he would basically be a little minion that would just echo chamber every 
one of Donald Trump's positions because he's already been outspoken on some of the vaccine stuff and some of the other policy issues, but very respectfully. And I right. think that might be another reason that so many people are drawn to him. It's like, where did it go, this era where you could have totally diverse ideas <laughs> but be totally capable of maintaining civilized conversation about them, right? Right. Right. Well, we call it, so, we call it uh, yeah, scholars call it refutalization, right? When I told you this idea of the sacred, it's a very odd thing. This idea of a sacred society gets inverted and what happens? It gets re-sanctified. So now technologists are new, are new, are new priests. The science is settled. That's not a scientific statement. That's a dogmatic statement. Right, That's a statement right. of faith. I believe in science, the <laughs> maker of earth. <laughs> and and the universe, you know, and all this sort of stuff, it gets resacralized. But now instead of, say, like in the original feudal period, instead of uh, the Roman Catholic, uh, you know, the, the, the papacy, now you've got this bizarre kind of clerisy class that's imposing this woke fundamentalism on everyone. And I, I that's what we have right now. We have a society that is refutalized, and uh, you do have a dictatorial power that's coming down. I mean, the very people who were singing, you know, uh, love and do what is it, peace, love, dope, and the hippies and so forth have now turned, they've come to power and they've turned out to be the most tyrannical people imaginable. Again, because they don't know how to deal with the sacred. The sacred is ab culturally absolute and unquestionable. Um, and that's why it I mean, that's why it's it has absolute certainty and then it's able to sanctify every aspect of life. So this is where faith comes in. Faith in God is absolute, it's unquestionable. Uh, but but it, at its best, it draws us. It, it awakens a sense of aspiration and fidelity by means of awakening the true, the good, and the beautiful. It's, it's, that, that's why, again, Christianity is so powerful uh, in the way it stresses mm. love, because in love you do the right thing, but you do it freely. You do it because it's good, because right. you, could, you couldn't imagine not doing it. I couldn't, like you're talking about earlier, I couldn't imagine not loving my children, not, not protecting my children, not doing the right thing with my children, precisely because I, I love them so much. And so with, with, with a refutalized society, but with that structure turned upside down, so now technologists are at the top, you've got this new weird and strange tyrannical fundamentalism, but just like with the original feudalism, where what ends up happening? The Protestant Reformation, <laughs> a populist revolt. Mm. That's what it was. It was a non-clerical populist revolt against that, in that, their days, a cler clerical class, and in our day, a clerisy class, a pseudo-intellectual class. And I think that's exactly what you're seeing today. This is a really interesting way to segue towards the end of the interview, Dr. Steve. You've been so gracious with your time, and I don't want to take advantage. Let me just ask you, you know, I would assert that it is the most important time in our lifetimes to make sure that men and women of, of faith are praying for this nation. So above politics and above what voting lever we pull, we should be praying that God's will be done in our nation and in our lives. But, it, but like I said earlier, at the same time, I don't think we divorce ourselves from our responsibility to try to hold our political leaders to, to task, to hold them accountable, that they were sent there to reflect our values. We expect them to do that. As civil servants, we expect them to represent our conservative values. What would you say to that guy out there that is, as we described earlier, who has thrown up his hands and he's decided to opt out of the process because it's all in the bag, it's all kabuki theater, it's all... A part of a machine you can't really change that guy but also the one that is planning to vote but has doubts about the outcome reflecting what they actually voted for what sure. would you say to help kind of energize um the troops as it were yeah uh, again that's stockdale principle it's it's got to be it's key right uh, friday and sunday don't mire in friday in the darkness 
of Golgotha, right? You have to see Golgotha in light of the empty tomb of Sunday morning. You've got to see the cross as a tree of life. That's, That's so it. beautiful. That's, you're right. I mean, again, the you have to remember the cross was the most horrific, despicable symbol imaginable in the mm. Greco-Roman world. And it was proof that Caesar was in control and you are not. It is absolute proof that Caesar is in control and you're not. And what made Christians so dangerous is they began to kiss the cross. They saw it no longer as an instrument of coercion and tyranny and manipulation. They saw it as a tree of life. It transfer and God can do that with the most horrific form of execution imaginable. Just imagine what he can do with us <laughs> and Amen. how he can transfigure us. <laughs> so it's so stay away from being self-defeating. I, I mean, you know, I'm going to stay home. I'm not even going to participate. It's ludicrously self-defeating because if you go out and you vote with everything you got, mobilize as many people as you can to vote, you at least have a chance to win, right? Uh, he may not, but at least there's a chance. Whereas if you sit it out, it's guaranteed not to win. So <laughs> it's this pouting strategy turns out to be completely self-defeating. You're ironically guaranteeing every Democrat's dreams to come true, mm. <laughs> right? Uh, you you are the Democrat's dream Republican voter, one who sits home. Oh, so so uh, so you have to get out there and be faithful with what God has given us. God has given us the most wonderful nation to grow up in imaginable. What a gift. What an inheritance. People talk right. about privilege. It's not a privilege. It's an inheritance. It is a gift that he's given to us. And we're going to stand before him and we're going to show we never, ever, ever uh, for forsook that gift. We always took that gift seriously. Even when our leaders were so decrepit and disgusting, wow. we always stood up and were faithful. Again, I go back to 70 years of atheistic communism in the Soviet Union, 50 years of atheistic communism behind the Iron Curtain, a very Christian faithful, generally orthodox uh, people uh, were, were, were imprisoned in that atheistic regime. They found, there was a very interesting study from the, uh, if I recall, from Baylor University. Uh, Rodney Stark talks about this in his book, The Triumph of Faith. They found at the beginning, during the height of the Tsar's period, atheist, atheism was no more than 5% in all of Imperial Holy Russia. 70 years of communism comes down, clamps down, destroys the church, does everything. Remember, at the height of the Tsarist Russia, there's 60,000 churches in Russia. When the Soviet Union ended, there were barely 2,000. Mm. There were 1,000 monasteries, all functional monasteries, praying 24-7. When the Soviet Union came to an end, not a single one. They, were, they, all, they got turned into uh, gulags. Uh, that's uh, so Alexander Solzhenitsyn's wonderful book, A Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich, is about uh, a man, one day in a life of a man who's in a prison camp. Turns out the prison camp is a monastery. And what and the genius of Solzhenitsyn is you find sparks of God's grace. We left the monasteries for, but he didn't. He's still there. Wow. The Soviet Union did everything they could to ravage the Russian people's faith. They did a study. Right after the fall of the Soviet Union, 1991, uh, on Christmas Day, interestingly enough, when the Soviet Union fell, they did a study to find out how much atheism had grown throughout 70 years in the Soviet Union. The beginning, at the height of the Tsardom, atheism was 5%. Then, at the end, when it finally fell, atheism had reached an astonishing Six <laughs> percent. It grew one percent wow. over <laughs> seventy years. The Orthodox Church calls that the seventy-year period a Sabbath. It was a Sabbath rest. Then now they're reawakening and blossoming again. They now have upwards of over 
40,000 churches in Russia, from 2,000 to 40,000, and all 1,000 monasteries are occupied by monks praying 24-7. They even have a policy in Russia now, if you can believe it, called spiritual security. How's that? Let me hear some Republican talk this way. The state has a vested interest in protecting the church and the spiritual traditions of Russia so as to ensure the moral flourishing of its people. This was after 70 years of the most atheistic, tyrannical regime on the planet. They didn't lose hope by God's grace, and we have no excuse to lose hope. That was beautiful, and I agree, Dr. Steve. For those out there that want to follow you after this interview, they they got to know you a little bit. Where can they follow your amazing work? Oh, thank you, Joe. Um, they could go to my YouTube channel, just punch in Dr. Steve Turley, uh, or you could go to turleytalks.com. That's a very uh, rich, informative website with lots of tons of articles that come out daily on the rise of the conservative age all over the world. Very informative. We've got other writers on there as well. Uh, and then you can look me up on uh, Rumble and BitChute on, uh, uh, in, uh, in all your pod, your favorite podcast streaming. Uh, we're all there. Just punch in my name, Dr. Steve Turley. Steve, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been thank such you, a Joe. pleasure. It's my honor. Thank you for taking the time to watch this special interview with Dr. Steve Turley. Joe Artis Horn, the host of Skywatch TV, sitting down and conducting that interview in the Skywatch TV studios just a few days ago. Please remember, Skywatch TV depends on your support, and what we do with that support is finance the work at Whispering Ponies Ranch. This is the facility that we make available to ministries like Royal Family Kids, Teen Reach, and others, and we do it thanks to your support at no cost to those ministries working with children at risk. You can find out more at their website, whisperingponiesranch.com. During the month of August, for your gift of any amount, we will send you as our thanks the book by Jonathan Jonathan uh, Brentner, that is, Jonathan Brentner, The Triumph of the Redeemed. What will life be like in glory? Add this to your reference library, and there is no minimum amount. Again, if you're in the U.S. or Canada, for your gift of any amount during August, we'll send you a copy of uh, Jonathan Brentner's book, The Triumph of the Redeemed. Find out more online, skywatchtv.com. Look for the red donate button or call us toll-free, 844-750-4985. Thank you for watching as we keep watch and have a blessed weekend. I'm Derek Gilbert, and this is 5 in 10 from Skywatch TV. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.